You may be seated. So a few weeks ago, I think you, you all uh, were in the Gospel of Mark. And that's uh, actually one of my favorite books in the Bible, for obvious reasons, because uh, I'm Mark. Got it? Uh, actually, my parents, I wish I could say that my parents named me after the gospel, but my middle name is Anthony, so it's Mark Anthony, so I'm not really sure what they were going for there, not sure, but my siblings have, uh, I'm the youngest of six, and so uh, they have often, they still refer to me as Mark Anthony, like I don't know why, like anyway, that's a rabbit trail. So today is the first Sunday of the new year, happy new year. Um, it's really, uh, it's really a new year for me because I am new to Blacknall and new to Durham. I've only been here since the beginning of December, and it's awesome. I don't know why I wasn't here before. This is a great community. Uh, it's really fantastic. And so today is not only the first Sunday of the new year, it's also my first Sunday to preach here. And I really want to do a good job. So far, I've probably already blown it, but uh, nevertheless, I really want to do a good job. Um, and if I understand things correctly, I think that historically, unless somebody, this is a bad joke, but if they're, they wanted to set me up like this is not what you guys normally do, which I believe, Dave and Goody, that, uh, that this is the Sunday that you guys sort of talk about the state of the church, about that, that sort of thing. Uh, but I've only been here since December, since the 1st of December, so everybody in this room could do a better job of talking about where you've been. Um, and so it's either going to be a really short sermon or I'm going to talk about like the interim. Because from what I understand, this is, um, this is the first time you guys have had an interim in decades, which is awesome. If you think about it, uh, that means that God's faithfulness has been evident through the leadership of this church for all these years. And that's definitely true uh, in Alan's ministry and and. and uh, the ministry, the folks who were here before that, and especially the folks who are here now. I've only been here a short time, and I can tell you that your staff and uh, leadership of this church, it, they're incredible. Um, really, truly incredible. You can see God's faithfulness uh, for the folks who are here. But at the same time, given that this is the first time you've had an interim in 40 years or so, uh, it, it might raise some questions like, what do we expect? What do you expect from an interim? Because an interim can actually raise anxieties uh, and questions and about not just the interim period, but the interim, right? This guy. You guys don't know me from anyone who's this bow tie wearing guy. Um, but you're stuck with me for a while, so there you go. So I'll, this morning I want to talk about uh, this interim, not just the interim time, but uh, me a little bit so you can get to know me a little. And to do that, though, uh, I want to go to one of Paul's letters to his friends in Philippi. And the reason is because I believe that um, very much that what Paul has to say to his friends in Philippi and his letter to the Philippians is foundational to the life of the church. Uh, it's foundational in my own life as well. And I hope that actually it will link who you all are from where, how you got to this place in time and be this sort of bridge to where you're going as God uses this time in the life of this church and in your life 
to prepare you for where he's taking you next. Not that this interim time is a time that we just sort of sit, but rather it's a time that we prepare. We're continually moving forward in, in what God's called us to do. But this is sort of this bridge. And so I think what Paul says here in Philippians is something foundational. It's this sort of this bridge from where you are to where you're going to go. And hopefully I can help conduct us across the bridge there. So let me read from Philippians 1, chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. Before I read it, I'm going to pause for just a, a moment or so, just a minute of quiet, so we can collect ourselves, sort of calm our hearts a little bit, so perhaps the Holy Spirit can uh, help us to hear what God would have us to hear. So let's pause for a moment, and then I'll read to us from Paul's letter. Paul wrote, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, I'd ask that by your spirit, you would help all of us this day to hear what it is that you would have us to hear. That you would use it in our lives to help us to know Jesus in a deeper way. That your spirit would work in our hearts and our lives in such a way that we become more and more like Jesus. I pray, Father, that nothing that I would say or do or have left unsaid or undone would in any way hinder the work of your spirit. I pray as the psalmist prayed, that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What feels like a thousand years ago, when I was a student at uh, Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, I uh, had the chance to study the New Testament with a man named Frank Thielman, who was actually uh, an alumni of Duke Divinity, and he and his brother actually attended Blacknall while they were here. His brother Sam went to med school here and uh, Frank was a divinity student here and they worshiped here at Blacknall some. And that's, uh, that's just a little, another little flag for me, right? I, I mentioned the first time that I was here that this church has this legacy in my own life but also uh, in so many other people's lives for eons, decades from its beginning, this church has, has equipped and empowered and encouraged men and women to do the work of the kingdom from the get-go. And God's not finished yet. Uh, Roger Veith, who was a member of this church, then moved to Chattanooga, was a, my mentor, discipled me 
Another man named Tuck Knopp was my trainer in Young Life. Tuck was a member of this church when he was at Duke. Frank Thielman was one of my professors at Beeson Divinity School. I'm just one person among so many. That's part of your legacy. It's a rich legacy. It's fantastic, and it's ongoing. That's part of who you are. At any rate, Dr. Thielman is this um, amazing, really humble uh, scholar, loves Jesus, and uh, does a great, amazing job, has made an impact on my life. And he began his lecture on Philippians. Now, he'd written a commentary on Philippians, so he knew a little bit about it, I'd say. And so we were sitting in class, and just as he began his lecture on this letter to Philippians, he said something in kind of an aside, uh, sort of this, what he may have thought was a throwaway thing, but it rocked me as I sat there and listened to him. And it has stayed with me ever since. That was like 2003, 2004. And it still is there. He said, at some point in your ministry, someone is going to come to you. And they're going to ask you, what's God's will for my life? Or they're going to say, what's God's purpose for me? Or what's God's purpose behind these circumstances that I'm in? And he said, it's right here. In Philippians 1.12, when Paul writes to his folks that all of these things have happened and they've really served to advance the gospel, everything, he said, connects to that purpose. First plus, it might seem a little, um, I don't know, reductionistic or to be trite. It might seem like it's attempting to sort of brush away all the stuff that we've got to go through, what it means to be human. But that was... Um, far from what Thielman meant at all. In fact, um, he has a a book called Theology of the New Testament. It's really fantastic. And in that book, he sort of unpacks this idea even more. And this is what he says. Paul's concern for the progress of the gospel among the Philippians dominates that letter. Paul wants the Philippians to focus on what matters. And what matters, as Paul says in Philippians 1.12, is that the gospel progresses, both in his circumstances and in theirs, whatever those circumstances may be. By concentrating on the gospel's progress, the Philippians will arrive at the final day pure, blameless, and filled with righteousness. Paul's concern is for the progress of the gospel, and it dominates the letter. He wants the Philippians to focus on what matters, and what matters is the advance of the gospel, the progress of the gospel in his life and in their lives and in the lives of the people around them, no matter what the circumstances are. I will never, ever forget hearing that in class. It shook me. It went from my ears to my heart, and it stayed there. He wants the Philippians to focus on what matters, and what matters is the advance the progress of the gospel in their lives and through their lives in the world. And so God's purpose for my life, for your life, for the life of the church, is to focus on what matters, and what matters is the advance of the gospel in my life and your life and the lives of the people around us. And that, friends, is not an easy call, is it? It might at first blush, like I said, feel a little trite or maybe reductionistic, maybe too simple, 
maybe as if it's sort of flippant, kind of pushing away all the stuff and the circumstances that we go through. But then we start to unpack it and realize, no, this is a huge call. This is no easy task that we're being called to. It's called to see everything from that perspective is a challenge because a lot of things, a lot of things, compete to be the focus, compete to be what matters in our lives, all kinds of things. We live in a very complicated world, a complicated society. We live in a complicated community. We're complicated people. And there's lots of things that try to compete for what is to be our focus. And I think Paul knew that. I think Paul understood what a challenge it was for the progress of the gospel and the advance of the gospel to be what matters most to us. I think he knew that. Because a lot of things were competing for Paul's attention in his own life. He was human, just like us, and he had a lot of things going on. There was a lot of things going on in his world. In fact, if you know Paul's story, you'll know that he was deeply concerned about the lives of those he loved. He was deeply concerned about the church. He was deeply concerned about the infrastructure of the church. He was also deeply concerned for his friends. But we also have to realize that when Paul writes this letter, he has a set of circumstances that most of us, probably all of us, have a difficult time really connecting to. What we know about Paul's immediate situation is that he was in prison of some sort. There's some debate on where, could have been Rome, could have been Ephesus. It doesn't really matter though, does it? Because Paul, when he writes this in verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually really served to advance the gospel. Well, what's happened to him? Well, we know, first of all, as I just said, he's in prison. I don't know if you've ever um, toured a prison or a jail or been in one. Uh, as a pastor, over my 30-some-odd years, I've had the chance to go visit people who are incarcerated. I'm also a, a, a county commissioner back in Tennessee, and I've had to go into the jails a few times and sort of walk through. They're less than pleasant. They're not places you want to hang out. It's not just the, the context of the place itself. It's often the people that you're surrounded by. It's a very challenging place. And I would imagine that uh, being in jail in the 21st century is a whole lot better than being in one in Paul's day. So I would imagine that his circumstances at that point um, could have pressed in quite a bit, messed with his focus. I think I would have had trouble writing the letter that he wrote to the Philippians. I think my first line would have been, please help me get out of this place. Wouldn't it? But yet, that's not his deal. My own situation often dominates my thinking, and yet here is Paul saying that those circumstances, even that, that its purpose was to advance the gospel in his own life and the lives of the people that he was surrounded by. But I don't think Paul was just thinking about his immediate circumstances. If you know much about the life of Paul, you know that he went through all manner of things. It isn't just that he's sitting in a, in a jail. If you read through the book of Acts and even other Paul's letters, you'll see that before he went to, to Philippi, before he wrote this letter, and even after, Paul endured all kinds of hardships, all kinds of things impacted his life emotionally, physically, spiritually. There's a short list I have. There's one thing like he had to flee. You ever had to flee, run from your, for your lives from the place that you lived, the place where you were, because you're talking about Jesus? Paul did. 
He had conflict with a friend of his, Barnabas. They were close friends. Have you had that happen in your life? I have. I'm sure you have as well. It says that Paul was uh, unjustly accused. He was stoned. He was punished. He was beaten with rods. He was whipped. He was attacked by an angry mob. He received death threats, false accusations. He was bitten by a snake. He was shipwrecked. He, He dealt with storms. He suffered physically. We don't know exactly what was going on. Maybe his eyes, something to do with his kidneys. Something was going on with him physically. And then he was thrown in jail. All of those things, the physical, the emotional, the relational, had to press in on Paul's mind and heart and life because he was human. Knowing that he was unjustly accused of all those things, he felt it. He had to deal with it because he was human. That's what we would have done too. But somehow or another, in the midst of all that, he was able to stay focused on what mattered. And what mattered was the progress of the gospel in his own life and the lives of the people that were around him. Somehow, by God's spirit, Paul realized that no matter the circumstances of his life, no matter what he was doing, God's purpose was in it, and it was to advance the gospel. So far from being easy or trite or reductionistic, Paul is laying out for you and for me this foundational principle of the Christian life, these rails that we run on, that all the circumstances, every aspect of our lives are meant to advance the gospel. I'm grateful that that Paul, by God's grace and spirit, was able to write to his friends in Philippi a letter that has impacted me and hopefully you. He was truthful about this situation that he was in, but truthful about how God's people are to respond in those circumstances. It's a challenge, isn't it? To think about all the circumstances in your life that they're actually meant for the progress of the gospel in your life and the progress of the gospel through your life to impact other people. I often overlook that in my life in in ministry when I find myself in difficult uh, situations. Not that you ever have difficult situations as a pastor. It's easy peasy. We only work about an hour a week. So, (laughs) Paul doesn't just give us this flippant sort of response, though. He gives us these examples. He didn't just say, hey, look, folks, it's great. It's all good. You, You ever been around people that do that? It's all good. And you know it's not all good. Paul's not doing that. He gives us these examples. He says, look, all of these circumstances have actually gone to serve to advance the gospel. And then he gives us these examples in verse 13 and then 14 through 18. In verse 13, he says, even though I'm in chains, even all of that has served to become, that, so has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now think about that for a minute. Paul is in chains with these imperial guards. We don't know necessarily who these imperial guards were, but they worked for Rome. They worked for Caesar. These were crack elite troops. These were men who had served in combat in one form or another. This isn't uh, clean, easy combat. This is hand-to-hand combat. These are men of bloodshed and violence. They're not sort of the folks you probably wanted to spend a lot of time around. These are brutal men. And here's the grace of God. He wanted them to hear about Jesus. And in order for them to hear about Jesus, he had to put Paul there in chains. Paul wasn't bitter. Somehow, some way, by God's spirit and grace, Paul is able to continue to talk about Jesus in front of these men because God wanted those men to hear about Jesus. God sent Paul. Think about that for a moment. 
God sent the Apostle Paul to imperial guards in a jail so that they would hear the gospel. What about you? What about me? What situation does he put us in so that we will be able to communicate the gospel? I'm sure it was less than pleasant. And somehow Paul was able to see that this was an opportunity to advance the gospel in his own life and in the lives of those people who were around him. But it's not just there. He tells us in verse 14 through 18, he tells us something else. Not only was it there, but he said, And most of the brothers and sisters, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the truth, to speak the word without fear. Now that's a shocking thing to say, isn't it? Because of his imprisonment, the brothers and sisters were emboldened to share the gospel without fear. They spoke up. They shared the gospel. The gospel continued to advance. The work of the, of the mission continued on. God's purposes in the world continued to move on. Even though Paul's in prison, this work goes on. And because Paul's in prison, they're, in, they're emboldened to do it. That's this, this amazing reaction, this amazing switch in the, in the midst of all these things. Think about it. In our own lives, the circumstances of our own lives where we think, I, I can't do this. What's going on? In those moments, God still works it's very clear here. That's what Paul's talking about. God purposes for him. And he says this amazing thing. Some of these people do it because they love the gospel, they love me, and they're preaching. Some of them are doing out of false motives. They want to do it for spite. But it doesn't matter to Paul. He says this amazing thing in verse 18. He says, it doesn't matter what, why they're doing it. The efficacy of the message of the gospel isn't about them. It's about the message itself. And in every way, he says, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Because that's the purpose. That's the mission. That's what it's supposed to be all about. No matter the circumstance, Paul is encouraging the Philippians and us to focus on what's, what's important, what matters, and what matters most. It's the advance of the gospel and my life and your life and the lives of the people around us. I love it. And I really wish that it was uh, my constant perspective. I wish I could stand here and tell you that in 2004 or whenever it was that Dr. Thielman said that to me or to our class, I wish I could say, oh yes, it has shaped every part of my life and from that point forward, I have become the stalwart of the faith. Just be like me and you'll have it all worked out. That's not the case at all. In fact, most of the time this text has been a reminder led me to, be, to confess and repent because often the things that compete for my focus win. I'm probably the only one that that's true of. But here it is in front of us. I have often trouble seeing the way Paul sees it. But boy, I want to. To see all the circumstances of our lives to be this opportunity, really, to advance the gospel and to see it advance in my own life and the lives of people around me. Paul isn't some sort of hero. He's not some special person. He's not a superhuman. He's just a, he's just a man. He's just a person faced with different kinds of circumstances. And then that, somehow, some way, by God's spirit, he was able to see that in all of those things, what mattered most, the focus, was to be on the advance of the gospel in his life and the lives of the people around him. And so that's what I hope to do as your interim 
that's what I hope we do during this interim period, that we continue on in this tradition that you've had, that no matter what the circumstances have been, you've advanced the gospel. You've seen the gospel go forward and impact the lives of all kinds of people. My hope is that we're able to circle back to this text pretty often and remind one another, hey, the focus here, the most important thing that we do, no matter what it is, no matter what's going on, the most important thing that we do here is that we see the gospel advance on our own lives and the lives of other people. That feels like good rails to run on, does it not? It feels like the right rails, the right bridge from where you've been in the past to where you're going into the future. That feels like the right, the right track, making sure that we keep our focus on what matters what matters is the advance of the gospel of Jesus in our lives and through our lives, no matter what the circumstances are or whatever things that we get involved in. The focus is on what matters, and what matters is the advance of the gospel in our lives and through our lives. Now, granted, it's probably going to look a little different than it did in years past. I mean, first of all, for the last two years, you have walked around with masks on. Our world has changed drastically uh, we're dealing with COVID still. We'd hoped that it would go away, but here we are. We're living in a, in a, in a, in a world that is in, it's tense. Our country, our communities are tense, aren't they? Over all kinds of things, whether it's race or sexuality or politics. And that's what makes this church so important. That's what makes churches like Blacknall so important. Because we're holding all of those things sort of in tension, right? This beautiful tension as God's people, trying to figure out how it is that we advance the gospel in our own lives and through our lives and how we love one another and be a place where people can hear about Jesus above and beyond everything else, no matter what those positions might be, holding those things in tension. That's the, the importance of a church like Blacknall because our country and our community, our world is hungry for it. They're dying to see how you can hold those things in tension and yet love one another. And the way that we do it is because we're about the advance of the gospel. Because it's in that that we are saved and rescued and restored and renewed. All those powerful things. So how will we do it? I don't know. Not entirely. I have a few suggestions. Actually, I have two invitations for you. The first is this. I'd like to invite you to pray with me. A lot. I, I learned this a long time ago, that God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. And one of God's ways about doing things is that we pray. God's people pray. And we pray a lot. It's one of the things that marks us, is that we, we're people that go to God in prayer. And so I want to invite you to do something crazy. I'm going to invite you to pray with me three times a day. Now wait. Before you go, that's crazy. It is crazy. However... I'm not talking about hour-long prayers. I'm talking about 10 seconds. On my phone, I have it, I have it marked. I have a timer at, 10, at 9, 12, and 5. I want to invite you to do the same thing. I've asked the session to do that. I've asked our staff to do that. I'm asking you to do it. I'm asking the deacons to do it. I'm asking everybody at Blackmall to do it. Pray at 9, 12, and 5. Put a little timer on your phone. It's a way for us to have this shared experience with one another. All of us going to the Lord at the same time, asking God to do great things, asking God to advance the gospel in our lives, asking God to use this church to advance, to advance the gospel, praying for one another. These are like 
arrow prayers. Sometimes for me, it's just, God, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help this person. Lord, use this opportunity. And when I'm driving from Tennessee here, God, help this person who's driving me crazy going slow in the left lane. So I want to invite you to pray. I also want to invite you to sort of dig deep into Jesus. Because in order to to advance the gospel of Jesus, we've got to know Jesus. So I want to invite you to know Jesus in order that you might make him known. We can't advance the gospel unless we're advancing who Jesus is. And we can't advance Jesus if we don't know him. So next week, when we pick back up into the gospel of Mark chapter 10, dig deep into who Jesus is. Our hope and everything is rooted in the person, word, work of Jesus, his life, death, and his resurrection. This is the thing that holds us together. I want to invite you to do those two things. I don't know how we're going to manage to go forward unless we're sort of spending a lot of our time praying together and looking to Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. Let me um, draw things to a close here by asking you to pray with me, and then, uh, then we'll join together around the Lord's table. So let's, let's pray. God, I ask that you help us. I ask that you help me. You help all the the folks who are here, those who are online, those who are looking to you. Help us, Lord. Help the gospel to progress and advance in our own lives so that you can use it and use our lives to advance the gospel in our community. Lord, be with us as we draw around this table. Use the the cup and the bread to nourish our hearts and our souls. Use it, Lord, to transform us, to help us to become the people that you've called us to be. And use it as well in other people's lives who don't yet know you fully, that they would see what's happening here, and by your spirit, you would draw them to Jesus. Lord, I ask that you be with this church. Give us wisdom for the days ahead. We pray for the folks who couldn't be here today because of whatever reason. We pray your blessings on them. We pray, for Lord, for those who are grieving and hurting. We pray for those, Lord, who are looking to you and ask, God, that you do great things through this church. We ask all this through the powerful and the awesome name of Jesus. Amen.